guys would stand with me as we pay honor to the reading of God's word tonight. We're going to continue our series called Good News for Every Heart. And tonight we're looking at good news for the religious heart. From John chapter 3, we'll begin in verse number 1 and read to verse 15. This is God's word to his people. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. You do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into the heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And this is God's word to us. And we're asking him tonight to write its eternal truth on our hearts. And let's go ahead and pray and get started. Father God, we pray tonight what Christians many, many years ago prayed. What we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. In your son's name we pray these things. Amen. You can be seated tonight. It is possible for you to live your whole life focused on the wrong point. It is possible tonight for you to live your entire life and miss the point. We naturally remember revolutionary people. People who revolutionize things, do revolutionary things. We remember them. We recognize them, and we recognize them because they tend to be the people who come around us and make us question if we understood what we claim to know before meeting them or having encountered them or having run across their body of work. Uh, this uh, past summer, in the middle of the coronavirus shutdown, um, we spent several Sunday nights being educated by the theologian of basketball, uh, the Reverend Dr. Michael Jordan, in the wonderful series, The Last Dance. When we think of Michael Jordan, we think about people who made us question, and I know for a lot of you who may not really know Michael other than by Michael, question whether or not we really understood basketball. I think of leaders like, uh, you know, this past week, uh, we celebrated uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who made us question, or should make us question, if we 
really knew how to lead people nationally. Here's a, here's a, a man who comes on the scene and completely revolutionizes the way that you think about raising public awareness for something and leading a national campaign. I, I, as Christians, though, maybe we might be tempted to think of a woman like Elizabeth Elliot. I, I think of her often, who took the, the gospel back to people who actually killed her husband, making us question if we really understand what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. A good question that we might ask ourselves and we will ask ourselves in this series, probably when we get to a sermon that's already been titled, Good News for the Terrorist Heart. Do you believe that you could take the gospel to people who killed someone that you loved? Would you be willing to sell everything, continue mission efforts, to go reach the people who killed people that you loved? Elizabeth Elliot did. Tonight, we come across a religious man and a religious heart that came seeking out Jesus because he hadn't seen anyone like him before. But also we encounter, and, and the whole purpose of this evangelism series, again, is not to look at didactic passages that tell you you need to share the gospel more, but to look at how the gospel transforms all types of hearts. Because I think as you see all these different hearts that are transformed by the gospel, what will inevitably happen is it will make you more courageous in your evangelistic efforts. Because you will be encouraged and emboldened to see that the Bible teaches us time and time again that hearts that probably don't seem like they would be naturally converted to Christ can be by the power and the work of the gospel. And so I want us to look first and foremost in this series at the religious heart. Because I'm speaking to religious people. By your very attendance here tonight, you have identified yourself as a religious person. And to the person who will feel the temptation um, to maybe meet me at the back, though this doesn't happen often, um, and, and correct me that uh, Christianity is a relationship and not a religion, uh, Christianity is very much, in fact, a, a religion. There's just no way around it. You have a dogma that you live by beliefs that you confess, you gather together for worship. But what is it about Christianity that makes it different? Well, we could, in an apologetic sense, make the argument that it is the fact that we worship the one true and living God. But it is possible to have a religious heart and not have a truly converted heart. And to, for that reason, we turn our attention to Nicodemus tonight. And so... I want to do what I want to do tonight is not I mean, it is typical that we will have three points, but I want to hang them as three scenes in this narrative. So uh, if you're more of a movie person, we've got different scenes that we're going to operate through. If you're more of a, a theater person, you're, you're highbrow. We'll, we'll talk about it in terms of three acts, if that makes you feel better. Um, it doesn't make me feel better, but it might make you feel better. This first act or this first scene is a nighttime meeting. And this is act one. Now, there was a man, verse one, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
So what we learn here in this opening stanza, this opening scene, we could say is the curtain lift or uh, the opening credit roll. We learn that a religious man by the name of Nicodemus came to meet Jesus and speak with him. He came under the cover of darkness. Now, before we go any further, right, we we don't know anything about this man, Nicodemus. In fact, if we're reading the Gospel of John, John kind of wraps up chapter two and boom, we're immediately confronted with this meeting and we might not know anything about Nicodemus. Well, what we learn about Nicodemus is, is, is a few things. Number one, we learn that he's a Pharisee. And you go, David, that's really life-giving. You know, it says that right there. What does that have to do with anything? Well, when we get into our Bible reading and we recognize that the Pharisees are religious leaders of the day, they're Bible teachers, right? And, and just so we don't have to, I don't have to keep repeating myself, though I probably will because I want to drive home this point. Nicodemus has been reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures in his entire life. It's just the Old Testament at this point. They are available and accessible to him. And while this may seem obvious that he's a religious leader, there's a key phrase at the end of verse number one that gives us an even bigger clue about who Nicodemus is. He's a ruler of the Jews. So in addition to being a Pharisee, he serves on a committee or a council called the Sanhedrin. He would have been what we would know as a distinguished Bible teacher. He is not a casual seeker of Christ. He's not someone who's unfamiliar with the scriptures. This brother has devoted his entire life to studying them, and he is a well-known, well-respected, and probably renowned Bible teacher in the area. On top of this, there's historical evidence that suggests that Nicodemus is actually part of a very wealthy family, in addition to being a renowned Bible teacher, which means that Nicodemus lacks nothing. So here we find him coming at night. Now, pastors and commentators for years have made hay about this, that Nicodemus comes at night. Uh, you know, he doesn't want to be seen by his fellow teachers, they speculate. He's embarrassed to ask questions. Well, it's nice and may add a little dramatic flair to the story, but more likely than not, the reason why Nicodemus comes at night has little to do with his fear and everything to do with two, maybe one of two things. Number one, Jesus is incredibly popular by this time. Everywhere he goes, crowds and crowds and crowds of people get around him. I don't know about you, the last time you went to a concert, it's not probably uh, the, the time where you were hoping to engage in intentional dialogue about deep truth. A philosophy club does not get together and go watch a movie and dialogue about philosophy during the playing of a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie about philosophy. Not pulling apart Marx and Jung and all of these other great thinkers while cars are exploding. So it makes sense that Nicodemus searches Jesus out by night. Also, it's well known that the Sanhedrin got together at night to pull apart the scriptures, to study together, to have their council meetings where they would think through the Bible. So while it might be attractive for us to say, here's little Nicodemus who is scared, 
there's little about Nicodemus that gives off the, the, the essence that he is scared. He's honestly curious about who Jesus is. Nicodemus, what Nicodemus does is he says he calls Jesus rabbi. And in calling Jesus rabbi, what Nicodemus is doing is he's saying, you are on the same level as me. I know you've not been formally educated. I know that you haven't gone to rabbi school like the rest of us. I know that you haven't put in your practitioner hours and done all the things that are necessary to be considered an elite teacher. But I, as an elite teacher, acknowledge that you are an elite teacher. Why? Well, because look at what Nicodemus says. He says to Jesus, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What Nicodemus does in this little phrase, one commentator notes that on the lips of Nicodemus, the term suggests that Jesus is to be viewed as a religious authority to the highest degree. Which makes sense if you're Jesus and you're truly God and truly man. But we want to pause at this moment and also say this. Just because Nicodemus recognizes that Jesus is an exceptional teacher and recognizes that he should be treated with the highest respect and given uh, the authority that he deserves, this isn't an affirmation. Nicodemus has not yet believed that Christ is actually the Messiah. It's not an affirmation that Jesus is even God. In fact, some of you probably roll across people like this quite often. They would say, oh, I like Jesus. He's a great moral teacher. Or he had some good principles that we should shape our life after. As you press them to think about him being fully and truly God, they balk. This is where Nicodemus is at. Nicodemus doesn't even get to his question. Jesus cuts him off. He cuts him off in this opening scene. He knows the thoughts and intentions of Nicodemus's heart, further proving that he is God. And he says to Nicodemus these words, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus cuts Nicodemus off of the pass. He knows that Nicodemus wants to do a dialogue. He knows that he has lots of questions. And Jesus is like, we're not even going to let you get to your opening question. He confronts him with a, an essential truth that Nicodemus must be transformed. Jesus says that he must be, your English Bible probably reads, born again. Or if we were to look at it a little bit more technically, born from above. This is what Jesus is getting after. And for Nicodemus, this would have been jarring. One, he's not even getting to control the dialogue. Jesus takes over from the word go. But now Jesus is saying, you must be born again or born from above. Why is this jarring? Right? We read this text. We're like, I'm familiar with this story. I know this. All, we, they preached on it all the time. Why is it jarring? Well, Colin Cruz actually helps us here. He says, Jesus' Pharisaic contemporaries believed that all of the Jews would enter the kingdom of God through the resurrection on the last day, the only exception being those who denied the faith and committed acts of apostasy. 
To be born a Jew was to be an inheritor of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus would have been astonished by the statement that he, as a Jew, must be born again. And he would not see the kingdom of God if it didn't happen. This harkens us back, if you would just to scratch out in the margin there, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John says earlier in the, in the, in the Gospel of John that it is impossible for you to merely inherit. And here, in the first few chapters, Jesus is on a mission to correct Nicodemus's false assumptions that merely by being a Jewish person, he would inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, you may be here tonight and believe you're okay. I want to assume that just because you're sitting in a service or because you're a member of this church and have been coming here for years, that you are genuinely converted. You may honestly believe that by being a moral person and because your family has grown up in this church or you've attended church your entire life or because you've been around religious people or because of religious activity that you are in the kingdom of God. And Jesus confronts you tonight with this truth. Unless you've been born from above, born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. I also don't want to assume tonight that just because you're here, you've grown up in the church or know this story. You may think that religious activity is enough to save you. And Jesus is cutting Nicodemus off of the pass and saying, no, 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 no. Religious activity, cultural inheritance, cultural acceptance, the idea of growing up and into being a Christian is a fallacy. You must be born again. Which leads us to the second scene, the second act, a puzzling question now. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter in a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So rather than understanding Jesus is saying, you must be born from above, Nicodemus says, wait a minute, i got to be born again? Jesus, I'm no doctor, but how is this even possible? Jesus answered, and it's important, you see those words, truly, truly, if you're reading from the King James or are familiar with the King James, you know the words, verily, verily, I say unto you. What Jesus is doing in those words is saying, listen up, buttercup. Pay attention. What I'm about to say is essential and important. I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now Jesus ratchets it up, the claim. Prior it was, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Now Jesus says, just in case you're wondering, not only will you not be able to see it, you will also not be able to enter it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I said to you. You must be born again. And we'll leave verse 8 hanging here for a second. This statement by Jesus puzzles Nicodemus, so he naturally wonders. He naturally thinks, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter his mother's womb when he's And be born again? He had missed completely what Jesus is saying. Beloved, it's possible, and we've seen it happen time and time again, where people sit under preaching, gospel preaching, for months, for years. And it's only as 
the Spirit moves and works in and on them that they become genuinely converted. This happened Sunday in our college ministry. A brother sat and heard from James, pressing him about the nature of his condition before God. He went into a small group where the Spirit prompted a leader to say, let's talk about how God has converted us, our testimonies. And as they went around the room, one of our small group leaders later confessed to me, I had notched him as a follow-up. I heard his testimony. There was no conversion moment. There was no evidence of conversion. By his own admission, he, the Lord had been working on him. He said nothing had happened and come of it. I had marked him for follow-up. Only then to move into a worship service to sit under another preaching moment about a brother who was in a tree that Jesus called to repentance. And under the weight and conviction of the Spirit from November all the way to the present day, came to a knowledge of Christ. It is possible tonight that you have come here for a long time and you are hiding behind the charade of everybody around here assumes that I'm a Christ follower. Make no assumption. I don't assume that just because you sit here tonight that you are a Christ follower. So if you're worried that people are going to be like, oh my gosh, you're not a genuine Christ follower. You weren't actually saved and like treat you weirdly. I will not. We spent the last seven years, Jess and I talked about this on the way home. We spent the last seven years watching year after year as students who we believed to be genuinely converted were actually gloriously converted. One, in fact, that became incredibly nice as a result of his conversion. He was a jerk prior to coming to know Christ, had even moved into a position of being a small group leader, was gloriously saved and redeemed, and Jess remarked a few weeks later, my, how much nicer that person has become. It's amazing what happens when the indwelling work of the Spirit is alive in you. Jesus answers that unless a person is born of the Spirit and the water, they cannot even enter into God's kingdom. Once again, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus that being born a Jew, and I'm going to make the argument tonight that being born a Baptist, being born a, 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 a part of the assemblies of God, being, being born a Presbyterian, whether you're sprinkled, it's not really baptism, you're confirmed, contributes nothing to your salvation. What is necessary is that you repent, believe, and are born again. This new birth that Jesus is talking about is a cleansing and renewing. The, the water symbolizes the cleansing, and the spirit is the renewing action that happens inside of this new birth. Like, you're getting really excited. Yes, because we're talking about what's happened to me and hopefully what has happened to you. Jesus says in verse 6, if we were to, to look at verse 6, Jesus says this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. What Jesus is saying here is, look, humanity only gives birth to humanity. You can give birth. A, a husband and a wife come together. Hopefully we don't have to have this talk in much more detail than this. They love each other very much. And a baby comes along. And just as that's the only way that life is created, spirit is the only way that gives birth to spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying, 
just like you wouldn't say that some outside force is bringing a baby to bear on the life and just dropping this random kid off, so it is with coming to know God. We must be born again. And Jesus, ever the uh, anticipator, anticipates this reaction. And what does he say to, in verse 7? Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. In other words, Nicodemus, quit being shocked that I'm telling you to be born again. Why? Well, we go to Don Carson for help. From his study of the scripture, from Nicodemus' study of the scripture, his grasp of the distance between human beings and God, and the axiom that like produces like, right? Humanity produces humanity. Spirit produces spirit. He should have understood the need for a God-given new birth just from studying the Old Testament. And God's promise that he would give his people a new heart, think of Ezekiel, a new nature, clean lives, and a full measure of the Spirit on the last day. That is why Jesus told Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised. God bless you. I love you in the Lord. And I've seen you every semester. And there are some of you among us tonight who are legitimately shocked in your courses that material is on the final that was covered during the lecture period. I didn't know this was going to be on the final. What do you mean this is here? I couldn't believe that question 73 was on the final. Never mind the fact that the professor or lecturer had basically, to the point of ad nauseum, tried to drill that point home as being essential for understanding the course material. Can't believe that you would test us on these things. And you chuckle, but this is the basically the equivalent. Nicodemus has given his whole life to study the Old Testament. And you've got to ask yourself, how did he miss it? I don't know. How did we? Because we're not genuinely converted. And Jesus ties this all together in verse 8. So how are people converted? Through the working of the Spirit and the Word. Through the Spirit moving and calling people. Just like the wind, we can see the Spirit's impact on people's lives even though we can't see the spirit moving. The new birth is from God. It is supernatural. It's beyond control or exhaustive human knowledge. And anyone that can tell you that they have nailed down exactly how conversion takes place and can tell you this is, it's like 73% God's sovereignty and 27% human responsibility. In the glory, to the glory of God and the joy of all people, tell that brother or sister they don't know what they're talking about. John tells us that the Spirit moves in ways we don't understand. And like the wind, however, and despite its mysteriousness, its, ex, its effects can be experienced firsthand. And this truth should give us confidence that the Spirit is at work in our evangelistic efforts, even if we don't know how the Spirit works in our efforts. And I just want to tell you, maybe for some of you who are trying to become more intentional in your evangelism and are trying to work up the courage and the nerve and you're having these conversations and nothing's happened, maybe tonight you need to leave here and, and you need to write on a card, uh, uh, John chapter 3, verse 8, and, and put it in front of you every day to remind you that you're not the, you're, 
You're the agent that is helping to make a change. You do not cause it. This leads us to the final act, a skeptical question. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is basically saying to Nicodemus, you're tripping over, you must be born again. We can't move to more advanced material until you've grasped. You must be born again. Some of you are genuinely frustrated because you're like six weeks on evangelism. What is he possibly going to say that I haven't heard? You must be born again. Why do you keep saying it? Because you must be born again. When are you going to stop saying it? When you have been born again. Nicodemus continues to struggle to comprehend the truths Jesus is teaching. And, and it's not for lack of intellectual competency. In other words, Nicodemus can hear the words and understand the words, but unless the Spirit of God opens his blinded eyes, he cannot be born again. Jesus, again, shows that Nicodemus should have already grasped these concepts. He'd been studying for years, and he failed to recognize and realize what they're teaching. That's why in a couple chapters, in John chapter 5, Jesus is going to say this to people like Nicodemus. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. This is John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. And it is they that bear witness about me. You study them. They're bearing witness about me. Verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. like the kid that you take to the Grand Canyon. And on the day that you get to the Grand Canyon, he tells you, I'll stay in a car and read about it. No. Put the book down. Get out of the car and experience the Grand Canyon. That's what these brothers and sisters are like. John Carson again helps us here. He says this, Nicodemus's failure was not a failure of intellect, but a failure to believe Jesus' witnesses. You people do not accept our testimony. I don't know how many more times we're going to have to tell you who I am and why we're here. And listen to this. The failure to believe was more reprehensible than the failure to understand since it betrayed a fundamentally inadequate appreciation of who Jesus is. It's not that you won't be born again. It's that you refuse to appreciate Jesus for who he is. Jesus closes this section by doing two things. In verses 13, 14, and 15, he points to his supremacy above all things. There is no one like him. He descended from heaven and he will ascend on his own accord. There's no one like him. You boys think that you're phenomenal teachers of the Bible? Ascend to heaven with me. But first, before you do that, descend from heaven like I did. 
They can't. And what Jesus does in verses 14 and 15 is he closes the conversation by time. Again, what is Jesus doing with Nicodemus? He's constantly saying to him, you should have seen this in the Old Testament. And he concludes by taking him to Numbers 21 and reminding him of the scene of Israel's physical lives being saved. They get sick in Numbers 21. Moses builds a bronze serpent. It's lifted up. And the Israelites are told, in order to spare your spiritual or your physical lives, look at the serpent and live. And Jesus is saying, just like those people needed to look up and live to spare their spiritual lives, you need to look up at me and live to have eternal life. By the way, this is free, and then we'll move to some takeaways for you. For those people who claim that all religions go up the same path on different sides of the mountain to the mountaintop. And as long as people are sincere that they will get into heaven. John chapter 3 verses 1 through 15 is probably one of the most direct contradictions to that. Because Jesus says, unless you come my way, my path and are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. So, we've heard this, we've, re- we've read through it, we've pulled it apart. So, what is this, how does this change my life? Well, I'd say, first of all, religious activity is never sufficient in and of itself, especially when you're worshiping the wrong thing. He's, Nicodemus is involved in all this religious activity, looking for the Messiah, and Jesus is like, I'm here, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I don't understand. So religious activity, you might be here tonight and you're just full of, you're here Sunday, you're here Wednesday, you are involved in 8 million service opportunities, you give money to the homeless, you serve outside of here, you're involved in ministries like Freeway, and you think that by ratcheting up your religious activity, you are doing enough. And in fact, some of you right now, under the conviction of the Spirit, are going to walk out rejecting the message you just heard and try and ramp up the spiritual activity even more. And I'm just going to tell you, it won't work. You must be born again. Number two, the Spirit is always active as we share the gospel and work through the Word to see people converted. Want to see people converted? Pray the Word, preach the Word, proclaim the Word to people, and Pray that God would work through his spirit to convict people of their need for Christ and see them genuinely converted. Last thing, even in our evangelism efforts, we need to be aware that merely attending a service, joining a church, singing and worshiping along with everyone does not guarantee that those performing activities around us and with us are Christians. Why I said to the brother, on Sunday, it's a really good idea to have everybody share their testimonies in small groups. And I'm tipping my hand in my small group and my small group leaders tonight because I would gather that after our teaching time on Sunday morning, that similar activity will be taking place in our small group. It is a good thing to celebrate how God has converted his people. And to sit in a room with eight to ten other brothers and sisters and hear how their conversions are not like yours. But oddly enough, 
are exactly like this. Delight in the gospel, and we delight in the God who converts us. Nicodemus is an odd duck. We leave him because in John chapter 3, verse 16, is the most famous verse in the Bible. John the Baptist picks up his argument and begins to move on. And we're kind of left wondering, okay, what happens with Nicodemus? And there's arguments on both sides that Nicodemus never actually was genuinely converted. But I believe he's actually genuinely converted. I think the textual evidence of this is uh, Nicodemus goes with Joseph of Arimathea when Jesus is crucified and gets him off of the cross to bury him. At this point, some commentators argue that he's just making sure Jesus is getting a good burial. I think that's weak. You don't have to go and get somebody's body to make sure that they're getting a, a sufficient right burial. But by going with Joseph of Arimathea, who Matthew identifies as a Christ follower, I think Nicodemus is taking that step and living out and being a Christ follower. Because something has happened. Nicodemus's heart has been changed. And the affirmation that he made, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, has become real to Nicodemus. And he's taken ownership. Not only are you a teacher, I would imagine Nicodemus on that day said, not just a teacher. He's my teacher. He's my rabbi. Let's pray together.